Hello, all you reinventors out there. I have such an interesting story for you today. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm the founder of Covey Club and of this podcast. And I can't imagine having to go to work every single day and not be yourself. I mean, yes, I've been in corporate life where I had to pretend to like the guys above me a lot more than I did or um, all kinds of you know political things like that that we all do but imagine not being able to bring your true honest self in in your wholeness and who you are to work and then imagine that when you're an entrepreneur that you can't do that all that energy that's bottled up in um not being yourself um as christine deer of k deer says to us it was exhausting hiding and I love this story, not only because Christine, and you probably know her fabulous striped leggings, you probably own a pair or two or 10, um, but you know, she's not only talking about the crazy things that happen as an entrepreneur and her story. In fact, as we just got onto this call, she was just telling me how she found out that her factory is no longer gonna be working on next, uh, well, she found out on Friday that the factory is going to be going out of business. So now that throws her into a, a spiral. Um, but, but bigger than that, bringing your whole self to your work. So I'm not gonna tell you where this story's going, you may know it already, but I want you to listen in and learn from Christine about how not to hold, she says, don't hold yourself back for the comfort of others. In discomfort, we find our growth. And I think that's what we're all after. So I welcome you to listen to Kay Deer or Christine Deer. Christine, I'm so glad you joined us today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been wanting to have this conversation for a while. I know your products and I didn't know that was you. That's what's so exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> cool, right? To have somebody know your products before they know you is pretty cool. It is. And I find that when I do meet people and they realize, oh, wait, you're Kadir? There's a person <laughs> behind this? Right. It gets so, pretty exciting. <laughs> interesting, right. So let's start at the beginning because I want to get to the roots of your reinvention. I often find that there's a, uh, a tale going all the way back to your history. So tell me, where did you grow up and what did you study? What did you think you were going to do? Well, I grew up in suburban Northeast New Jersey, so about 40 minutes outside of Manhattan. And what's great about it is that it's it's diverse, it's eclectic. Um, it's so close to, you know, in proximity to the city. So there's just so much access. Um, heading back to, I mean, my early days, I, I knew I wanted to design clothing. I loved making stuff. I loved taking duct tape and the extra parquet flooring that was in my basement and making shoes or making a dog house for my dog. And then finally, my mom introduced me to the bin of fabric in my in my attic and I said "Ooh, I can make something with this so I would duct tape and staple fabric together and I made things all the time so from a really early age I knew I needed to create and that eventually found its way into fashion and I love to express myself and be super creative and um, what I wore and that kind of just translated throughout the years 
Um, I ended up going to Syracuse University for fashion design. And so I studied there for four years. I also went to London College of Fashion for a semester. And there I did my favorite course, which was corsetry. And when I came back, my senior collection, which is a large six piece or six model collection um, that you walk down a runway and completely create top to bottom uh, was all based on corsetry. So I have um, kind of this very traditional uh, education and uh, very technical education. And so I felt like that was, that. I feel like that's probably one of my strengths is that I see things from the inside out. Um, Were you so, the kid making all your friends prom dresses and all that stuff? Because I know almost every designer I ever spoke to was doing that through high school. They were making all their friends stuff, making stuff for their parents. Oh, yes. For me, for friends. And then when I went to college, I became the costumer for all the frat parties. Um, whenever they had costume parties, it was, let's go to Christine's room and she'll just wrap us in fabric. <laughs> so yeah, forever the creator and the, I think the thing that I love the most is that I could do it for others and help them express themselves. Um, and I think the foundation of that has just been kind of a part creativity. I mean, I came from a, a creative background. My my dad was a professional photographer. My mom was a print designer. And uh, my dad had a stroke in 1997, which was also rather formidable in my, in my life. Um, and I think that's what probably made me click when I said, oh, I should start a business. Well, because he was an entrepreneur. It was in my blood. Aha. So did you come out of school and go right into being an entrepreneur or did you work for other people first? No, I went into the city with high hopes. And uh, this was to, uh, 20, 20, 2007. And uh, the recession hit a few years later. And so all I could find was uh, freelance jobs. And I landed a position with Converse by John Barbados, uh, literally just cutting color chips for presentations. And I ended up staying there for a year and a half, becoming the um, impromptu assistant to the head designer. And I learned so much. And what I think I learned the most was what I didn't want. And that was to work in corporate fashion um, where there was just not enough freedom of creativity. Um, I saw my head designer, she's so incredibly talented, just get cut down at the merchandising level and the sales level. Um, and so I learned a lot and it was great. I lost my job. Uh, around 20, uh, 2009 and I started hot yoga because I had nothing else to do. Uh, I was living at home with my parents. I was 24 and um, seven days a week became my practice. And then I ran out of stuff to wear. Uh, in the hot yoga practice, you sweat bullets. So you are soaked, drenched, top to bottom when you walk out of class. And there was no clothing on the market that was supporting that. It was all polyester and supplex and just things that didn't perform well. So I started making my own things out of the fabric my sister brought home from her job. And she was a swimwear print designer. So she would develop the prints for the fabric that multiple companies would make swimwear out of. So she'd bring me home fabric and I would play with it. 
And I developed the first style, which was the bum bum. And I realized, I, I love this. Like if I love this and there's a whole lot of people doing hot yoga out there, maybe someone else is going to love it too. And I felt like I was solving a problem and I came to a place of just go for it. So I became a hot yoga teacher. And when I launched my brand, I literally for the first year hand cut and sewed every single pair of shorts in my childhood bedroom. I think I calculated it was somewhere under a thousand pieces, maybe 800 and literally took everything to the post office myself, handwriting all of the, the addresses on the envelopes and started my business that way. Pretty much bootstrapped from free fabric and the skills of my own hands. Do they know that those are couture pieces now? <laughs> Does anybody know that they have couture? That's hysterically funny. Many, many people still tell me that they have them and they wear them. It's oh, amazing. <laughs> you need to do a retrospective. Find those people and have yeah. them have them photograph themselves for you for your Instagram. That's great. We call it vintage, but it was only 11 years ago. Right. You're vintage. Okay. So keep going. So what, what happened next and, and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. So um, I started to burn out from sewing morning, noon, and night. And I think my mother was also kind of getting sick of seeing thread clippings all over the house. So I, two things. Um, I found a local factory and I started manufacturing in, in small amounts. He kind of took a chance on me and that he's actually our manufacturer to this day, which is very cool. And I moved into a small 800 square feet office in my town, which was across the hall from where my dad ran his photography business for 30 years. So there was a lot of really good energy in the space. There was an interior brick wall. It just had all this creative energy. And that's where K Deer was kind of um, born and blossomed. Uh, or it was blossomed there. It was born in my bedroom. <laughs> and little by little, we just started adding styles and developing new ways of um, creating the product. Meaning we went from buying, I would hand choose all the fabric and the prints that were already made. And eventually we got to the point where we knew that we could print fabric and make stuff out of the minimum amount of fabric, which was a thousand yards, which was mind blowing. That's so much fabric, right? And to this day, we still use that same process. Um, it is a, a wet dye process that makes the fabric very saturated. So the color is amazing. The stretch of the fabric is amazing. Our fabric is even made um, here in the United States as well. So there's like a really cool local uh, supply chain that we've been able to cultivate. And I think that that makes it just that much more special. How did the striped leggings come to be? When did those show up and how did they become? I feel like those are your signature item. Am I wrong? Yeah, for sure. So I think it must have been about 2012, 13 or so, 14. Uh, I, a bunch of my friends were hanging out in my office and going through my fabric. And one, one of my one friend says, oh, I love the stripe. Can you make a legging out of it? And I was like, really? You think these stripes would look good as leggings? It's like, oh, I'll give it a try. Made her a pair of leggings out of the stripe fabric and she flipped out. 
I made a few more pairs. I handed them to a bunch of different friends, including um, uh, Laura Kasperzak, who is known as Laura Sikora on Instagram. And uh, she started wearing them. Those are the first printed pair of leggings I think she ever wore. And she got a lot of great energy and, and a lot of great attention for it. So uh, we ended up taking a chance and creating the screens and going through the whole expensive, long drawn out process of developing a print for the first time. And when we first launched it, it was the blue stripe, the pink and the gray. And I named them all after women in my life. And my favorite one is the Jody stripe because it was named after my friend Jody Dahmerstad, who, uh, she, well, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was non-cancerous and she had it removed. And in order to help kind of participate in paying for bills and things like that, I decided to name them after her and donate proceeds to her. And once she was back on her feet, um, we switched the donation to the Adler Aphasia Center, which is where my dad is a member because, because of the stroke, he has aphasia, which means that he cannot communicate with words. Um, uh, that's a, it's a brain injury or uh, due from a stroke or dementia. There's multiple reasons you can get aphasia. But um, we donate now the Jody Stripe to uh, the Adler Center. And then we do that with all of our stripes. We name them after women in my life and bring awareness to a cause that's important to her and uh, donate proceeds. So annually now, um, or actually since we've started maybe six or seven years, we've donated over $200,000 to about two dozen different organizations. That's so interesting and also it's so counterintuitive. I mean, everything they teach you about stripes is never ever go wide. <laughs> like horizontal stripes, stay away. It's gonna make your legs look bad, right? Yeah, it's, like, uh, it's an old wives tale. <laughs> it's an old wives tale, okay. So what else do you, what are your best sellers and how have you evolved over time? And did you have to do any reinventing throughout it? I'm, I mean, as we know, none of these trips are straightforward. And um, we all run into headwinds, we run into cliffs, we run into yeah, abysses. <laughs> what, ha what has there been there for you? Um, well, I think the first reinvention was losing my job and the trajectory of you have to work in the city and you have to go be someone else's designer. And um, and I, I never realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur until it made so much sense to me as I began. And I think that first reinvention um, was all about just having more faith and trusting myself and uh, knowing that I could do it, even though I've never done it before. Um, you figure it out as you go along. And I, I was, I'm, I'm a student of the School of Hard Knocks without a doubt. I didn't go to business school. So I figured all of the business stuff out as I went and I went to fashion school, but they don't teach you production. So figured out a lot of stuff as I went as well in terms of that. Um, but through the years, you know, the, the, the little hiccups have been manageable and they're always there to offer you an opportunity to do better or do it differently. And I'm always grateful for it. And on Friday, um, we got word that our print mill 
that we make all of our fabric and all of our prints at is closing down. Um, as a casualty of COVID, the this Friday, last Friday, last Friday. Oh my God. So when you talk, when, when I saw this on my calendar, I was like, oh, we're talking reinvention, aren't we? <laughs> because K-Deer literally has to reinvent itself now because that print style is what made our product so great. And the fabric that we make our leggings out of, um, it is yet to be seen whether or not any other print mill in the United States can print this fabric. So it wow, very well may change oh. the entire trajectory of my whole business. And oh. I'm figuring that out as we speak. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's incredible. Did you have any idea that was coming? Uh, no, they gave us 20 days notice. Oh my God. Which is a bit of a punch to the gut because oh we've been goodness. partnered with them for the last nine years. <gasps> so wow. yeah, when... When that stuff happens, though, you, you, I mean, I clearly, I have faith that it's happening for a reason. Like, uh -huh. we are being encouraged to do it different. We're being encouraged to step outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to lead to a more sustainable product. It could very well lead to a lower priced product, because um, that's, I think, a lot of feedback that we do get is we want to make it more accessible, but also more sustainable. Um, In what way? So fabric, um, we use a really high quality nylon spandex and it will last forever. And there's beauty in that. The quality of the garment will last forever. However, the fabric takes more time to break down, which is not uh, so great for the environment, uh -huh. but really great for the consumer okay. because it'll last you years. People, people tell me they have pairs of leggings that they've, they're still wearing seven, eight years down the line. That's part so, of sustainability too, Christine. It's a huge is part of sustainability. Things out, is not yes. making them disposable. Yes. And I love the fact that we have a non-disposable apparel to sell. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to, we're just going to have to pivot and find a new quality that's going to allow us to make um, bright, saturated, beautiful prints and continue to do what we've always done well. Um, and... Yeah, I'm kind of excited. I, I, I do love a challenge and I do love to figure things out. Um, but it's definitely going to be a big reinvention for my brand and probably for myself. Do you ha have any sense of what that means? Have you? Oh, I guess it was last Friday. Today is yeah. Monday. <laughs> uh, well, I had a wedding over the weekend, oh, so I had some time goodness. on the dance floor to kind of shake it oh, off. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and a long drive from New Hampshire to sit with it. Um, mm. And I was with my sister and she works with me as well. She's our design director. Mm -hmm. So she's in charge of all of our print and fabric. And so I said, you know, let's just, let's just see what comes to us. And yeah. so the day before we found out, she looked into her wallet and found the business card of a printer in China who does the exact same type of printing. Huh. And it wouldn't be my first choice to manufacture our prints or our fabric overseas, right. but right. there are literally no other options. And wow. so if that means that I, I have to sort of create, um, you know, a new narrative around how we make what we do and 
Well, let's just see. We'll figure right. it out. Right. That's too bad because everybody's talking about trying to keep manufacturing here in yeah. the U.S., but this is what's happening, right? Well, manufacturing will stay here, but at least the fabric. I mean, most companies get all of their fabric overseas. It's very wow. seldom. There are very few fabric mills in the United States. I think that really the majority of them are for home furnishings. Mm -hmm. So that's a big, a big, um, a big thing down North Carolina. But there's also plenty of um, mills and whatnot out west coast. So we'll we'll find we'll find what's meant for us, or what's meant for us will come to us. But mm -hmm. I'm kind of open to the signs and to the messages that we're getting, saying you know that we're we're on the right path. Okay. You, know? you are very chill, girlfriend. For that kind of news. I think I'd be freaking out completely. I have no idea how I would handle something like that. So what besides the leggings do you make that people know you for? And what, you know, what were your biggest surprises and your biggest sort of something that you thought was just going to take off and you were so excited and then it didn't? Well, we've always done things that are super colorful and really, uh, you know, print driven. And we are embarking on a new collection for fall that is more uh, solid, uh, just to diversify the qualities of fabric that we offer and, and sort of um, solve more issues for people that we've heard lots of feedback about. Um, I thought that we were actually going to do really well getting into swim and we had tried a collection f f maybe a year or two ago and it just didn't land. And I think it's just because our active and yoga that they were kind of like, yeah, that's okay. I get my swim elsewhere. I mean, some people tried it and they absolutely loved it. Um, we just didn't feel enough like call to or energy to say okay let's make this you know another pillar of k-deer but it was it was worth a shot and it, it let us learn and it let us um sort of assess our customer base and, and understanding what their real wants and needs are because we don't want to make something that nobody wants to buy so yeah it's interesting because you don't know where you're going to go because i remember when first buying from amazon when they went beyond books i was like why would i buy anything else there that makes no sense, right. says she who has something arriving every day. And my husband's an Amazon junkie. Every day. So you, you never know what it's going to take to break that mindset, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And I think a lot just has to do with um, your marketing and has to do with the messaging that you put out there to your customer base and, and having conviction behind what you're doing. So maybe it was partly that I didn't believe in it enough um, or I didn't have enough faith that it was, it was supposed to be a part of our collection, but um, a lot has changed also since, since we did swim uh, for me personally. And for, I think the brand just in general, we've just gotten so much stronger in who we are. Like we've, K-Deer has figured out who they are. And in part, a lot has to do with my own figuring out of who I am. Um, and Can you talk when, a little bit about when talking that? about trans, sure. And so when talking about transformation, um, you know, K Deer may have gone through transformation or will be, <laughs> but me personally, I came out, uh, last year 
um, as gay and at the ripe age of 35. And I think that is, it was exactly when I needed to. Um, and I have spent the last year truly discovering who I really am and, and having denied, I think, a big part of my spirit and creative nature, um, I think because I have done so much pleasing for others, um, I've decided to really uh, stand in my truth. And that has given K Deer, I think, a much firmer foundation to stand upon as well. So I think of all the transformations that I've gone through in my life, that has been the most rewarding. And I'm still, I'm still on a high. I'm still feeling so incredibly loved and grateful for this freedom. It's like a big weight was taken off my shoulders and, and the pain that I had felt from feeling like I was hiding myself has just slowly disappeared. How has that impacted your work, Christine? Oh, I love it again. Is there anything that you weren't gonna do before that you do now? Is there a level of worrying that's gone? Are you more creative for some reason? How is that specific? Well, I think I, I love my work again. I think I was, I disconnected for a few years in the middle of the process because, you know, stresses, lawsuits, this, that, and the other thing kind of pull you down. And I just, I got so uncomfortable in my own skin and also feeling like I couldn't just be me inside this brand that I have full control over. Nobody's above me. I'm, I'm the boss. And yet I still felt like I was tiptoeing around, um, kind of afraid to really put it all out there. And as soon as I personally put it out there, I feel like KDR is now really putting it out there. And our messaging is, is honest and positive and people are just rallying behind us in a way that I've, I knew, but now it just, I, I feel so much love um, personally and, and then on that next level, on the K-Deer level. So, yeah. Can you, can you give me an example of what you mean? So what are you hearing from your consumer? What did, what did you do that opened that up for you when you say that you feel so much love? Because I think that'll encourage people who maybe are not bringing them their whole selves to what's going on their business? Well, I, I'm a student of the Brene Browns, the Oprah's and, and all the, the wisdom out there. And Brene Brown said um, that what makes us vulnerable is what makes us the most beautiful. And so when we show up transparently and honestly with our flaws and with our, our, all our glory, right? They're, they're not even flaws. We are actually perfectly perfect the way we are. There is nothing to change. And when we, we have faith that our truest selves and our, our deep knowing of who we are is, um, is that beautiful? Like, how are we to hide that from the world? And that's a Marianne Williamson moment right there. If, you know, who are you to not shine? Who are you to not show all of your beauty and all your glory? And when you do, 
people respect you and people honor that and they want to support you and they want to celebrate with you. There is a lot more love out there than hate, even though sometimes it might not feel or seem that way. When you put yourself out there in a vulnerable way and in a transparent way, people honor the integrity that you bring to the table. And now, I think did, for- Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Did you did you put it out there in an ad campaign? Or when you say that, how did, how did anybody find out? How did they know? How did your story come together with your business? Um, so when I came out to my family last June, I, I kind of kept myself um, in, in the present moment. Um, and it wasn't until October on coming out day, uh, October 11th, that I decided to make it a KDR statement. And I would beg to say, you know, it's probably one of our top, re, top um, trafficked posts and commented posts. And every single comment was filled with love. There was no hate. There was no doubt. There was no um, resistance whatsoever. And what I've also realized is that when you give yourself permission to be your true authentic self, it, it also gives other people permission too. So I have heard plenty of stories of people saying, you know, your courage to be exactly who you are has helped me. And that is just the greatest gift because it reminds me that I have to continue to never hide because if I don't show up 100%, then not only am I doing myself a disservice, but I could be taking away an opportunity to give somebody else permission to do the same for themselves. Amazing, awesome. So let's close, well, believe it or not, we're already at the end, incredible. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's such a transformation though, That's fantastic. What, if, if you have, I mean, I think that probably is the most interesting piece of advice for somebody else who is feeling like they are not bringing their true authentic self to their customers or to their business um, and wondering if it's holding them back. What are the tips and tricks that you would suggest they know? Because we know it's a tough world out there. You're very lucky that it's all, it was all very positive because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I've been doing a lot of social media for a long time and we know that that's not always the case. Right. Well, I would have to say that um, those who are meant for you will be there for you. Those who are not meant for you will not and they'll disappear. And only give attention to those who support or challenge you in a positive way to shift and change and grow. Um, so when it comes down to how do I, how do I decide whether or not I'm gonna really be 100%? Well, ask yourself what it would feel like if you continue to not be 100% yourself, if you continued to abandon yourself and feel as though you have to um, perform to somebody else's standard or comfort, you know, I think one of the most important things that we can do is um, not hold ourselves back just for the comfort of others. 
you do no justice to anyone doing so because it's in the discomfort that we find our growth, our opportunity to learn and change in a really positive way. So if you're thinking, should I or shouldn't I, write it down. If I do, these are the possible outcomes. If I don't, these are the possible outcomes. But don't just look at the this is super tangible, look at how it's really going to affect you. So if I don't post and say, I cried all day, you know, are you going to feel as though you're just playing the, you know, Pleasantville, super perfect, you know, look at me, I'm so wonderful. Or if you say, I cried all day, Someone's going to say, oh my gosh, me too. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Thank mm -hmm. you. I don't feel so crazy now. I don't feel so alone. Mm -hmm. It's like, all you have to do is just know that you humble yourself to be honest and people are going to come back and say, me too. You are yep. never alone in what you're going through. And when you show up, you give permission for others to show up for themselves. Absolutely. Well, Christine, that is fabulous. And I think it's really a relevant reinvention. And I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners out there who maybe feel shy or incapable or afraid of bringing them their whole selves to their entrepreneurial pursuit will be able to think again and look at what's happened to you and maybe by bringing it there it will release a lot of energy because I think it does take a lot of energy to not be ourselves don't you it does it was exhausting yeah absolutely exhausting hiding covering yeah. myself up and and shielding myself from you know the light that I I knew that I could put out there so it must release so much creativity and all mm -hmm. of that great absolutely well, thank you, Christine. I so appreciate it. And I know something good is going to come from this factory thing. And I'm so <laughs> sorry that that happened right away. But you know, that is the life of an entrepreneur, isn't it? That you never sure know what's is. coming at you. You got to roll um, with the punches. You got to roll with the punches. The good news is that I will tell you when you're small and nimble, you have the ability to respond. And yes. that's one of the wonderful things about being an entrepreneur. And you don't have to ask 20 different people for permission. You can just yep. find a way and move on with it and get it done. 100%. So that's the joy. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm so delighted that you were able to hear Christine's story. And if that moved you, I hope that you will subscribe to Reinvent Yourself. And I hope that you will share the podcast with friends you know who are also trying to reinvent. It is not easy to reinvent, but it can be done. And I think that's the most important takeaway from all of this. If you are serious about reinvention, please hop over to cubbyclub.com and pull down the 31 badass tips and tricks for your for launching your reinvention that I made. It's a little tip sheet of 
the best things that I've learned over the last 10 years, having interviewed thousands and thousands and thousands of women who have done reinvention. It will get you started. It will make you unafraid. And um, that's the hardest part. The hardest part is just getting started. And lucky for you, the easiest thing you can do is pop over to cubbyclub.com and download that tip sheet. That'll get you started. So anyway, hope you're doing well. And until next time, I'm Leslie Jane Seymour, and we will talk reinvention again.